Uh, This is Genesis 39. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all the land that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house of Joseph for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his, master, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to the master's wife, Before, behold, because of me, my master has no concerns about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in me in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. Then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to, to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, in pl- the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of, of all of our hearts, Lord, as we encounter your word. We pray that those things uh, would be pleasing to you, Father, that that you would show up, that you would speak through your word to our hearts and help us to see your greatness and help us to see the gospel anew and afresh here this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, One of the things that I am constantly coming to terms with is just how uh, transient, I think that's the right word, how transient the nature of life is. And what I mean by that is so often we can live our lives and and go down a certain path uh, expecting certain outcomes 
And then something always comes from left field and changes things on a dime. We don't expect them. We're not always very prepared for them. But all of a sudden, in a moment, the whole trajectory of our lives can change and move in a different direction. And one of the things that you see about that is you see it consistently in the life of Joseph. If you've been with us, uh, we started last week looking at the life of Joseph. We're going to spend about six weeks looking at uh, different uh, sections of the life of this man that you find in the second half of the book of Genesis. It's his, actually, his life is actually the longest running narrative in, in the book of Genesis. And there's so much that we learn in his life about the nature of faith, about the nature of life, and ultimately what we learn about the God whom we serve and worship. This morning, I'd like to look at three things from, from just this specific chapter in the life of Joseph that tells us those things, that tells us a few things about life and a few things about the God that we worship and the God that we serve. The first thing that I think we see from our passage this morning is, is about God. We see the steadfast presence of God in this passage. His fingerprints are all over it. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, you'll know that uh, I admitted that I was a Ravens fan. I say I admit that because it's been a tough year, right? Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, how I like to, to DVR Ravens games and I try to go on radio silence and, and not uh, hear the outcome of the game and, and try to stay silent, but it never works out. I always hear the outcome and all, all that. But what we in Baltimore realized this year is it is somewhat difficult to be a Ravens fan this year. Uh, it's hard because the team isn't very good, they're not doing well, and people aren't watching it as much as possible as, as they typically do. But one of the things to make matters worse is I tend to listen to, to sports radio, sports talk radio in the, during the week. And I don't know if it's because I like to uh, commiserate with other people who are frustrated by how well uh, our football team is doing or whether I just like to shake my fist in frustration. But one of the things that I do is I listen to that each week. And what's been so amazing the past couple weeks as you uh, listen to sports talk radio is how many people are ready to jump off a cliff. How many people are ready to write the Ravens off to never become a Ravens fan again and to automatically go and become some fan of some other team because they've had it? And when you listen to it, it's, it's really surprising that people have such strong reactions. But I think at the same time, it isn't all that surprising. And here is why. And that is because I believe that so much affection in our culture tends to be here today and then gone tomorrow. We have friendships that once were really strong, yet over time they have somehow faded away. We have bosses that will give us a good review one quarter, and then in the next corner they give us a really poor review. We have professors that we think we've gotten on their good side, and then we get an exam back and realize we're not really on their good side. Sadly, in a culture where divorce is really common, it's very often for us to hear people say that their spouses no longer meet their needs anymore, so they tend to move on from that relationship. So rarely in our culture do we find emotion, affection, or presence 
that we would call steadfast or lasting. At the end of our story last week, we saw that uh, Joseph was uh, carried away. He was uh, taken by his brothers. He was victimized. He was left for dead. And then he was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. He was given away to slave traders. And at the end of verse 37, we see that Joseph is in an incredibly low place in his life. But as you read on throughout his story, uh, he doesn't stay in that low place. Once he gets to Egypt, as we read this morning, he is sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is a a high-ranking Egyptian official. And quickly, he becomes very successful in Potiphar's service. In fact, the passage tells us that God begins to bless Potiphar and his family and all that Potiphar's doing just by virtue of Joseph's presence in his family. Joseph is left in charge of all things in Potiphar's home, and he must now be thinking that this isn't all that bad. Maybe that low place that I was in just a few months ago, maybe I'm past that. Maybe I'm past this terrible point in my life because things are starting to look up for me. But of course, his story isn't over. It isn't finished. Everything for Joseph was going to change once again. And we read about that in our story. Joseph is falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit. He's removed from his high position and he's cast into prison. Just when things are beginning to look up for Joseph, he is brought low once again. He is back in chains, locked in a prison. But the passage goes on. The roller coaster continues for the life of Joseph and it tells us that God blesses the prison as a result of Joseph's presence in it. And when our chapter finishes, Joseph is actually put in charge of the entire prison. He's lived quite a life up to this point. When we started looking at his life, he was lifted high at home with the favor of his father above all of his other brothers. But then he is brought low, victimized by his brothers. Once again, he is lifted high in Potiphar's home only to be brought low again when he is cast in prison. And then once again, he is lifted high while he is in prison. One of the things that my, life, my wife and I like to do at the dinner table sometimes to kind of uh, get our kids talking about our day is we'll ask them, what was the, the high point of your day today and what was the low point of your day today? And often the, the answers they give us are, are sometimes comical, but it fosters really good conversation. And that's because just like our kids, we all have high points of our day and we have low points of our day. Things that we look back and say, that was a great moment. And and things that we look back and say, that was a really moment, a really low moment. But what's true of our days are often true of our lives as well. We have high moments and we have low moments in our lives. Maybe they aren't as extreme as Joseph's are, but we have them nonetheless. And the temptation for us is to think that God is blessing us in the high moments, but somehow in the low moments, 
He's either forgotten us or we have fallen out of his gaze or out of his attention. We figure that at some point in the lows, uh, we have lost control or he has lost control of our lives. Because when we do that, we falsely assume that God is just like every other relationship in our lives. Sometimes the affection and presence is strong and other times it feels weak and distance. We think of God the way we think about every other human relationship in our lives. But the good news is that God is not like us. His presence and his love are steadfast. Four times in our passage, verse 2, verse 3, verse 22, and 23, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. You see, God's presence and love for Joseph was in the high moments, but they were also in the low moments of his life. Perhaps from his point of view, it seemed like God was only in the good stuff. But what we know as the readers of this passage is that God was present in all of it, that his presence was steadfast in the life of Joseph. Corey Tenboom was uh, a Dutch Christian who lived during uh, World War II. She lived during the, the Holocaust. And uh, she and her family were active in uh, protecting uh, Jewish friends and family uh, from uh, the Nazis during the Holocaust. She would uh, hide them in her home in different places to protect them up until the point where the Nazis discovered what she was doing and they captured her and they put her in prison. She said that the only thing that sustained her when she was in prison was this thought. The thought that there is no pit so deep enough that he is not still deeper there. Friends, if you are Christ's, if you are his, know that his affection for you never wanes. His presence in your life doesn't come and go. It's not here one day and gone another. His faithfulness, as Lamentations tells us, is new every single morning. His steadfast love is never ceasing. His mercy in you never runs dry. His faithfulness to his people is constant, even when our faithfulness to him isn't. His love and his presence are unchanging in your life. He loves you just as much at the high moments in your life as he does in the lows. He loves you just as much in those moments where he feels close to you and in the moments where you want to run away and get lost in your greatest sin. In our passage, we see that his presence is steadfast. It is steadfast in Joseph's life. And it is steadfast in those who are his. But the second thing we see in our passage is not just the steadfast presence and love of God, but we also see a beautiful picture of obedience in the life of Joseph. There's something going on here in this passage that uh, is really easy for us to miss. Because what the writer of Genesis is trying to do in this passage is he's trying to paint a picture of comparison. 
We skipped over the last chapter in Genesis, Genesis 38, and in so doing, we miss some of the comparison that the writer is trying to do between Genesis 38 and Genesis 39. So let me give you a quick recap of what happens in Genesis 38. Genesis 38 tells us about Judah, uh, who is one of uh, Joseph's brother. And I don't want to be uh, gratuitous about what happens here in Genesis 28, but it's important for us to know what the scriptures tell us. Judah takes for himself a foreign wife, Genesis 38 tells us about. And this was not God's particular design for his people and for his family. God knew that if his family were to take foreign wives, then they would be subject to worship uh, the foreign gods that those wives would introduce them to. But that wasn't good enough for Judah. Judah lusts after and forcibly takes a wife from the Canaanites, a foreign nation near them. From this marriage, from this wife, uh, Judah bears three sons. One is, well, his oldest son is named Ur, his second-born son is named Onan, and his third is named Shelah. And Ur, it tells us, Judah's oldest son takes a wife for himself, and that wife's name is Tamar. But what the passage also tells us is that Judah had a hard time with his sons. His sons were all equally wicked in the eyes of the Lord. Ur, the oldest son, was so wicked that God put him to death. And what that did is it left his wife, Tamar, a widow. And in the ancient culture, to be a widow was to be in an incredibly vulnerable place. It was a culture in which the identity of a woman was uh, purely linked to her ability to bear children in that culture. And when Ur was taken away, Tamar was left as a widow. She was left in a very vulnerable place. So what does Judah decide to do? He decides to marry off Tamar to his next son, Onan. It was Onan's responsibility to help Tamar bear children. So he would, what it would be his responsibility to help Tamar bear children, but Onan did not want to do so. So the passage tells us that they would have sex, but before she could become pregnant, he would withdraw, spilling his semen all over the floor. That's the first time I've ever said that in a sermon, (laughs) but it's true. That's what happened. This was wicked in the sight of God. So then God puts Onan to death because of his wickedness. So here poor Tamar keeps losing husbands, right? So she decides to do what she decides to do is she decides to take matters into her own hands and she dresses as a cult prostitute and ends up sleeping with her father-in-law, Judah, and becoming pregnant with her father-in-law's baby. Meanwhile, Judah himself has been caught sleeping with a prostitute who just so happens to become his daughter-in-law in the process. All that to say, this is a total mess. This is a total mess in the story of Judah, and Genesis 38 shows us something very powerful. It shows us the carnage of an unhealthy sexuality. 
Meanwhile, Joseph in chapter 39 is continually seduced by Potiphar's wife. Her advances to him become relentless, the passage tells us. He refuses day in and day out her requests for sex. And when the intensity gets unbearable, Joseph runs away. He flees. He tells Potiphar's wife, I cannot do this. I can't do this to my master. You see, he's concerned with that horizontal relationship that he had with his master. But he also says, I can't do this because it is a sin against God. You see a concern for not just his horizontal relationship with with Potiphar, but also his vertical relationship with God. And what I believe the writer of Genesis is trying to do here is I think he's trying to make a comparison between the carnage of an unhealthy sexuality and the beauty of a healthy and good sexuality. You see, the church gets a really bad rap when it comes to sexuality and all things sexual. We get painted as uh, Victorian in our viewpoints. Uh, The world looks at us and says we are stifling in terms of our perspective and that we just need to get on board with the culture. We need to get on board with the sexual revolution that exists in our culture. And part of the reason we get that bad rap is our own fault. We are quick as a church to condemn unhealthy sexuality as we see it in the world but we rarely celebrate or even talk about a healthy sexuality. You see, our sexuality is one of the strongest desires that, have, that are given to us by God. One uh, spirituality writer talked about our sexuality like a tiger. It is a beautiful thing, but it is a very strong and dangerous thing. So one of the things that he talks about is it's important for us uh, to think about caging the tiger in a sense or providing boundaries for our sexuality. And one of the things that he talks about is that God has provided for us boundaries for our sexuality. We would never brazenly let a tiger out of the cage because if so, it could consume us and create all sorts of carnage. And the same is often true with our sexuality. It doesn't mean that God can't redeem a broken sexuality or bring beauty out of it. It just means like all sin, when we exercise it out of God's boundaries and his design for our lives, it can create all sorts of trouble. It can create all sorts of carnage. This is why God has, has given us boundaries for such an intense desire. It's not intended to to stifle our sexuality. Instead, it is to show us the beauty of sexuality lived out in its most beautiful and best context. And we see a picture of that in Joseph. Not just a picture of obedience, but a man who in obedience is practicing a healthy sexuality. He's a picture of obedience in a moment that would have been very easy for him to cave. Unlike most other characters that we read about in the scriptures, he bore up under the the temptation that was facing him in his life. And yet, despite all that, 
despite the fact that he's a picture of obedience, a picture of a healthy vertical relationship with God, despite all that, he still ends up suffering. Because ultimately his story is a story of a righteous one who is suffering. A righteous one who is suffering. Once again, in our story, Joseph's cloak is taken from him and used as evidence against him. If you were with us last week, his cloak was taken. It was covered in blood. It was brought before his father and shown as proof that he was killed by a wild animal. In this story, another cloak is taken from him and used as evidence in an attempted rape that he did not commit. And in the process, Joseph becomes a victim of a gross injustice. One of the things that I've noticed about uh, our kids as they grow older is their very sensitive sense of injustice. Okay, and as they get older, this sense of injustice gets stronger and stronger. And here's how it often plays out in our house. If we give our kids cookies and one cookie happens to be just one millimeter or one tiny little bit bigger than the other siblings cookie, the cries for injustice come from all over the place. It is a travesty. It is an injustice that has plagued our home and our kids never let us forget about it. Well, what it reminds me is that not just our kids, but you and I react to injustice all of the time. And we see it in the life of Joseph. Poor Joseph did the right thing. And yet, despite doing the right thing, he suffered injustice. But ultimately, our story isn't just about Joseph, because Joseph points us to someone and to something else. He points us to another person who suffered injustice. Ultimately, he points us to Jesus Christ himself, the ultimate righteous one who suffered. See, the gospel tells us that Jesus was the only one who lived a truly righteous and truly obedient life. He was the only one who who perfectly kept God's law. He was the only one who perfectly lived his life by God's design. The only one who lived a life of perfect obedience. But despite all of that, he was the one who suffered and was executed on the cross. Justice was served in that moment, but it was served on one who was innocent. His punishment should have been ours. You and I were the ones, because of our sin and rebellion, we were the ones who deserved death and condemnation. We were the ones who were the lawbreakers, the covenant breakers, the ones who didn't live by God's design, the ones who chose to go on our own path, and ultimately the ones that deserved the wrath of God to be poured upon us. Yet he was the innocent one who suffered in our place. Hebrews tell us, tells us that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. You see, in that moment, our sin, the sin of his people was credited to his account. And at the moment of our salvation, all of his goodness and his righteousness, his innocence and his obedience is credited to us, his people. This by grace is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. And friends, it is because of this. It is because of his perfect sacrifice. It, it, was, it is because of the innocent one who suffered that you and I this morning can cling to the fact that God's love for us is steadfast. Not because of anything that we have done to merit his favor, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we can honestly say that we have been faithless, yet he is faithful to us. It is because of Jesus and his mercy that his faithfulness, his love, and his graciousness towards us will never run dry. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.